You are all weirdos. All right, welcome back to You Are All Weirdos, and I am so excited. Stan, this is going to be our very first interviewed guest on the podcast, Uh, and the point of this show is to be a show for weirdos like you and me, Uh, but we want to introduce you to some of the delightful, brilliant weirdos we know and surround ourselves with, and when I think of unique characters that I know and people who do a lot of interesting things, this this man is is honestly top of mind to me quite often. Uh, so weirdos, I want to introduce you uh, to my friend Kevin Seal. Now Kevin is the frontman of the band Seal Party, uh, who of course does the theme song to this show. Um, Kevin does a lot of other very interesting things, uh, including uh, teaching music in schools. Uh, he works for SiriusXM Pandora, and perhaps the funnest, most fascinating gig, Kevin is the home organist for San Jose Sharks Hockey. We have wow. a bona fide NHL superstar on our show right now. He's bigger than Gritty! No, but... <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, without any further ado, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Kevin Seal. Uh, Kevin, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being our our first ever guest. Um, And I gave you one question to prep for coming into this because we use the word weirdo as a term of endearment. So, Kevin Seal, what makes you a weirdo? I'm a weirdo because my memory works in bizarre and uncontrollable ways. Really? And I'm honored to be your first weirdo. I'm my honored goodness. To be your first so you've got the photographic memory trick down. No, I don't. <laughs> well, the, 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 the way it doesn't work is that if I'm attempting to apply my memory to something, such as learning lines for a play or memorizing the Krebs cycle for biology class, like it do. absolutely doesn't work. It absolutely is not controllable. However, as someone who grew up watching MTV around the clock from nice. probably 1983 to 1987, if you ask me the name of the album and the name of the record label it was on for pretty much any music video in that time span, I will remember that stuff. See, so, okay, so so the issue is not repetition with your memory, because it seems like you've watched those same videos over and over again, but you could drill lines or biology notes, so so repetition is not necessarily the issue. What do you think it is that, that you remember certain, is it just your level of investment in the thing, or what, what what is it? I have a feeling it's that. What I compare it to is ADD, but not okay. as applied to attention, but applied to retention. So with selective AD, memory yeah, disorder, selective memory disorder in a way where if, if you have ADD, you can focus on certain things, but you just can't really decide what those things will be. You'll just have certain laser focus on particular areas of interest. And I think my memory works in that way, in a neurodivergent way. That is that is fascinating. So, as you know, you know my daughter has ADHD, so I hear something like that, and it completely resonates with me. But it's interesting. So for you, it's not so much your attention, but just how you remember things. So are there things that you know? I've known people who have had some very interesting memory things. My grandmother had a photographic memory. Oh. Uh, so uh, one of the things that I'm interested in with you is: are there certain things that no matter how hard you try, you can't remember, but there are, and you wish you could, and vice versa? Is there something that you really wish you could forget that you can't. And I'm not talking like horrible (laughs) traumatic stuff, but I mean just stuff that other people would not remember, you know, some No, no, no. I want to deep dive with Kevin. I want to hear some (laughs) All right, let's hear it, man. (laughs) I will unearth all the muck. Uh, Nice. (laughs) Yeah. I I mean, I I would say, and this is the case for anyone, humiliating moments from my childhood are are, are pretty... Pretty ingrained in there, but that's that's. Fine. I think that's everybody's fine. got that's that. Universal. That's, that's yeah, absolutely yeah. universal. <laughs> yeah, I, I I will say in some ways there are aspects of my memory and that I love that are natural. Where I will remember remember people's names and faces. So if I met someone in 1998, I will be like, I met you. This is your name. This is where you're from. 
And I absolutely remember your face 25 years later. And so people are like, wow, your memory's incredible. However, I will not remember the lyrics to the country songs I'm supposed to be singing that night, even though I listened to them on repeat in my car and looked at the <laughs> lyrics. Yeah, and be like, wagon wheel. He goes to North Carolina. He goes to Johnson City. I don't know. He just wanders all over the place. And Insert town name here. I'll figure out a rhyme. Exactly. Oh, yeah, right, right. Took also, a bus I'm to so Philly. Sorry you have to learn those kind of songs. <laughs> oh, I, I do perform country in one of my other side gigs, which I enjoy. It's actually really fun music to and, play. And for, for the record, how many bands are you in? You've got Seal Party. Now, formerly you were in Griddle. I don't know if they're still active as a band. Lo- okay, they are. Okay, love Griddle. Love Griddle. Thanks. And, thanks. I would and say Griddle. How many not other active. bands are you in? Okay, so Seal Party, Griddle, 20 minute loop. Okay. Which was active earlier this year. It's sporadically active. We're in different okay. cities at this point. And tell me about 20 Minute Loop. What are they about? 20 Minute Loop is a band that I was a rabid fan of for a long time before I joined them. Interesting. They call themselves freak pop, but it's very melodic, very kind of chromatic pop music. Interesting. With guitars, usually. We did do an acoustic album a few years ago with fewer guitars and no drums and bass, but really interesting intertwined counterpoint melodies with a male and female singer, Gregory Giles and Kelly Atkins. And then I sing harmonies with them some, but it's mainly the two of them winding around each other, sort of like an X with John Doe and Xene, the way they're they're kind of intertwined the whole time, which I, I love that kind of writing. So I was a huge fan for a long time. And then they broke up and... In the interim, Griddle wound down as well, or at least took a hiatus. We're sort of mm-hmm. on hiatus, I think. And they approached me and said, like, hey, we've always wanted a piano player. It's always been guitars and bass. If we were to do a thing as a trio for a while, just us singers and you on piano, would be you? Would you be into it? And, of course, my jaw hit the floor. And I was like, yeah, I'll nice. drop everything. So Amazing. Yeah, so we, we, we've done some shows that way. Greg lives up in Portland now, so we really just perform when, when he's in town and... and this past year, it was at Noise Pop. We played at oh, the nice. Great American Music Hall back in and, February. And you, you know that is, of course, the club I got my four-year degree in nightclub at, is the Great American Music Hall in San Francisco. So a <laughs> uh, place always near and dear to my heart. Someplace that, you know, if, if you went to a show at the Music Hall between 1998 and 2002, you probably went through me to get in the door. Oh, so. fantastic. I definitely went to a lot of shows in that span there. I can remember, my God, what was that show that Melinda took me to see? This is over 20 years ago at the old Hippodrome in San Francisco. And there were a bunch of dudes in robes and you were rocking out with keys on stage. And there was a full band. And it was this weird, like, Burning Man type band. What what was it? It was really cool and weird. and takes you back to an era of, like, just weird, artsy live shows in San Francisco that you don't see as much anymore. That's another one of my bands. That's the Dead Again Christians. Ah, that's it. That's it. That yes. was a fantastic name. Well, <laughs> yes. And we were the backing band for My Son the Mummy, which was yes! a series of that's live it. shows. We're now in the process of making a movie. So we just recorded, no way. The, recorded, recorded the soundtrack to the movie this past year as well. Oh, that's so cool. Can you so that, that thing that I went to 20 years ago is still active. Oh. It's still active. And it's really the brainchild of one man, Tom Byrne, who... Plays the mummy. I know Tom Byrne. Yeah. You know Tom Byrne. Yeah. yeah. So he had the original idea for My Son the Mummy. It appeared in a variety of configurations over the years. It was quiet for a while, and then he had the idea to make the, the newest version of My Son the Mummy into a feature film. He wrote the cool. script with Kurt Service, and we started with the soundtrack. So we went into Hyde Street Studios into Wally's hideout with him last year and recorded all of the pieces. Fantastic. In a larger version of the Dead Again Christians from the one and that how, we saw. That was a pretty big ensemble, if I remember it. So how many people did you have? Was it everybody recording simultaneously in the studio or was it more isolated with people coming in and out and, and fixing it in post and mixing it? It was the core five of us recording the basics together in the same room at the same time. And then we had certain people come in and add overdubs. So, you know, Suzanne Ramsey, Kitten on the Keys? Of course, of course. She she came in and added parts. She's brilliant. She's such a great performer, such a great live entertainer. Uh, Yeah, I love Kitten on the Keys. Absolutely. I do, too. I do, too. Hilarious. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Kevin Gersovitz. 
played B3 on it nice. as well. And he does flower piano and really amazing jazz. Oh, and, and flower piano, yeah, I know, is something that a lot of people are into, which, again, is uh, tying it back to weird, artsy stuff in San Francisco. And thank God stuff like that still exists, you know? Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, I love flower piano. Yeah, so we have this this full soundtrack that's recorded, and now the movie is going to get filled in using these melodic pieces to wow. prop it all together. And does, and does the movie have a title? Ooh, it does. I'm, I want to make sure I'm getting it correct because there's an episode name. Each of each of the installments has an episode name, and oh, interesting. I think it may be with "Mummy, You Get Egg Roll." I, <laughs> okay, I, I, I'm not entirely a thousand percent sure. Mm, God, I egg roll. I have to find this movie when it's made. <laughs> okay, yes, that's yes. that that that's okay. That's incredible. That's incredible. <laughs> okay, so um, I do want to go through um, some of the the fun gigs that you have because one of the things that we talked about in an earlier episode, uh, one of the things that all three of the the co hosts of this podcast have is all of us are experiencing joblessness right now. So one of the things that we focused on was we all have sort of artistic, particularly in theater type of backgrounds, but we really wanted to focus on sort of like what arts training can teach you in terms of applying for jobs in the real world. And I think for you, uh, I think it's really fascinating because you are a working musician and everything you do has to do with music. Uh, and, and I think that that's actually a pretty incredible thing uh, to have in your life where you can you know use that every day and, and, and make a living doing it. Before we get into all the individual jobs that, that you sort of work right now and then the bands and everything else, uh, you mentioned watching a lot of MTV from like 1983 through 1987. Yes. And as you know, at that time to fire up the Wayback Machine, and we're going to lose all the, uh, the youngins on this, but <laughs> at one time there was an MTV celebrity that shared your name, a gentleman by the name of Kevin Seal. Now, most people, unless they were really watching MTV of that era, don't know that name. But I'm curious, just because you also work in, in music professionally, have you ever been confused for the Kevin Seal of MTV fame? Have you ever had any encounters where you know you, maybe you met him or something like that? I've often been confused with him. Interesting. It, it's come up. When I've done work for Pandora, I hosted a podcast for Pandora for a while, and okay. a lot of people thought, oh, this is the Kevin Seal from MTV. His voice doesn't sound the same. No, it doesn't at all. No, <laughs> Not no. even remotely. I know. And, and honestly, if I had it to do over, I would have altered my name somehow to differentiate myself. Kevin G. Seal or whatever? Kevin G. Seal, maybe, yeah. Is there ever is there a really funny anecdote from being confused for Kevin Seal besides the podcast? Anything else where... I got knocked off of Wikipedia... Because we were, we were supposed to be disambiguated, and then all of a sudden I was thrown off. Because I had a Wikipedia entry, and then I didn't. I, I don't Aww. know if that's necessarily funny. But I will say at one it's point... It's real, though. It is real. But at one point, I woke up in the middle of the night and snuck downstairs to watch some MTV at like 2 in the morning. And I <laughs> swear this happened. I wasn't just sleepwalking or dreaming. I turned on the TV quietly... And Kevin Seal was on, and he said, Hi, I'm Kevin Seal. If you are, too, write me a postcard. And I was like, okay. So I, I wrote him a postcard, and I, I never heard anything back. So I, I guess it was just he was just kind of riffing off the top of his head. You know, and, and you know I, 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 think, I think the other Kevin Seal, uh, yeah, the, the less popular Kevin Seal, uh, deserve – he owes you a postcard. He might owe you a mixtape. Uh, you know? so, I feel like – I imagine the other Kevin Seal just getting his mind blown to the point where he was just like, oh my God, I have so much power. There's so many of us. <laughs> right, right, right. There's so There's many a Kevin legion. Seals. Yeah. Right. He just probably got inundated with postcards and was like, I, I have to use this power for good and not evil. <laughs> if, if you were on MTV in the 80s, there's a certain amount of uh, nostalgia that someone is going to have. I mean, Ricky Rackman still has a career. Yes, you know? he does. I mean, and I'm not, and I'm not trying to shit on Ricky Rackman in any no, way. No, no, I'm just not saying. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Matt Pinfield still has a career. Yeah, he does. He does. Adam Curry is doing quite well. Interesting. Dave Holmes has a bunch yes. of stuff. Yeah. Yes, he does. There yes, you go. Dave does. Holmes is a great example. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Martha um, Quinn. 
All right. So w- tell us a little bit more about uh, the band that we uh, have doing the theme song for our show. And thank you again for that. Tell us about Seal Party. For those that maybe don't know Seal Party as well, by the way, check them out. I, I-, I plugged the website at the end of the episode, but sealparty.com. What's the best place for them to find Seal Party music, in your opinion, Kevin? Sealparty.com is a great place to start. And okay. from there, you can go to your streaming platform of choice. You can buy an LP if you'd like. You can see please videos, do, etc. Please do, please do. Support so, working you. musicians, please. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, and thank and thank you for having us as your theme song. Seal Party started as a collaboration between Chris McGrew, drummer, okay. producer extraordinaire, and myself. Chris McGrew and I have been working together for a very long time. He's also the drummer from Griddle. Yeah. And we decided that we wanted to try an outfit that would enable baritone singing rather than tenor singing and i noticed that with your vocal range i really do yeah yeah and it's something that's often challenging when you have loud guitars is to sing low and let it cut through and it's something that i had always wanted to try so Mm -hmm. we wrote a bunch of songs over the pandemic essentially we snuck into the studio where he works in the tenderloin of san francisco okay i would bring my son in when he was learning from home over zoom and we'd set philo up Mm -hmm. in an isolation booth and he would be on his zoom call with his classmates and we'd be in the rest of the studio working chris mcgrew myself and a young engineer who was born in the year 2000, working in the studio with us. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, Liam Wesley Craddock. And the two of us started recording drum and piano songs together, and then we're figuring out what to add to those to make them work to have a lower voice rather than the top of my range kind of screaming stuff that I'd been doing for a long time. And and I think that's something a lot of rock and roll singers do. They try to sort of impress by going high. And that's what I actually really did notice. And I'm so glad you brought it up with Seal Party because you sing really well in your lower register. So that kind of baritone singing where you can actually go down an octave and have it be really cool. So there's there's a bluesiness thing to that because, you know, you always associate blues with going to like the lower register, the lower tone, right? And that really comes through in in the rock of the Mm -hmm. music. That's one of the things I, I love about the sound of the band. Anyway, please continue. Please continue. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I, I love being able to sing down there. And I'm a karaoke singer as well. So the whole time I would sing with rock bands, I would go and sing karaoke on nights that I wasn't performing. And I always loved doing stuff where I could try to go down really low and, you know, sing songs originally sung by women, but in super bass range and, and that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. So I, it's I have I heard you sing easy like Sunday morning and it is a treat. I, I will just put, I have seen you sing that karaoke. Uh, uh, yes. I love that song. I love that Who song. doesn't? Who yeah, doesn't? Yeah, yeah. So it was a delight getting to have that space to carry the melody down low and have the instruments kind of set a, an environment for it that allowed the words to still be heard in that low range too. Yeah. And that was the the birth of Seal Party. So we brought in all of our friends to contribute and the album ended up being about 30 different musicians. Wow, that many. Yeah, yeah. So it was over the course of a couple of years. Many came into the studio in these off hours. Some recorded So it really home. is a party because you're just bringing in different people and Yeah. 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 And it's set up to be that way, that whatever night we're playing, it's a party and sort of as if you're throwing a party at your house, you don't know who's going to show up necessarily and whoever shows up makes the party, right? So every track is a different group of people and each one's kind of a different context. So we get to introduce these people to each other. And that it's might explain thing, sort of like um, some of the diversity in some of the different tracks on the album too, because there's a lot of songs that sound very different from each other, which again is something yeah. you you don't see on, 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 unfortunately, I think you miss that on a lot of records. And I think you and I are into a lot of the same bands who sort of value having different tracks sound. You know, I think of like, like you and I share an affinity for Faith No More as an example that I think of where every track, sound, yeah, every track sounds a little different uh, on the yeah. album. I love Faith No More. I do a too. ton. And I, my favorite albums growing up were always the most eclectic albums in my collection. I always enjoyed having an album. Well, the White Album, for example, is my favorite Beatles record. And it goes in so many different directions over the course of those four sides. I mean, it really sounds like 15 to 20 different bands. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I, I loved having that 
breadth of range. And I, I am trying to think of other albums that do that as well. I would say I'd, the Mr. Bungle albums do that too. California by Mr. Bungle, you know, it's what eight tracks I think, and each one sounds like a enti- entirely different environment, really. Can I ask a question? Is Mr. Bungle named after that, like, Pee Wee Herman, like, little video clip about not being a Mr. Bungle? Yes. Oh, my yes. God, that's amazing. I'm, okay. I'm so glad that the two of you know that because I don't know the origin of that at all. So this oh. is new to me. This is, oh, okay. That, that, that bit in the Pee Wee Herman special is ingrained in my So it's head, not from so. Pee Wee's Playhouse. It's from something else? It's one of those, like, um like school videos that they showed back in the, like the forties and fifties. So it's like, this is Jimmy. Jimmy uh, likes to wash his hands because he's not a Mr. Bungle. Whoa. Whole, so he's yeah. not, is he playing Pee Wee Herman in this or is he just Paul no, Rubens like, doing some other thing? Paul, no, no, no. So it's a, it's the HBO special um, that he did that. Like, I got, got it. Got I got the it. TV show. And like, you which know how preceded like... Pee Wee's Playhouse, if I recall correctly, right? Yeah. It's kind of okay. what like got the gears rolling for the TV show. Essentially. Got it. Got and, it. um, yeah, that's hilarious. The... I did not know this. Oh, do yourself a favor and check it out. One of these I'll days. find it. Oh, I'll it's find it. I didn't, like, do, I, I forgot about it. It's, it's existence until right now. <laughs> that special specifically informed a lot of this. So <laughs> uh, this explains a lot. Yes. Exactly. Fantastic. Brilliant. Anyway. Yes. Hey, Stan, how much do you love your coffee? Bailey, if I could, I would bathe in coffee daily. Well, whether you're bathing or drinking, our friends at Henry's House of Coffee are offering our listeners an exclusive discount. That's right. You can discover the rich taste of tradition with Henry's House of Coffee, a San Francisco-based family business since 1965. Three generations worth of family. They roast dark, smooth, never bitter coffee. So friends, just visit henryshouseofcoffee.com or download the Henry's House of Coffee app and use promo code WEIRDO. That's W-E-I-R-D-O for a 15% discount exclusive to fans of this show. 15%? I could afford my daily coffee habit now. Experience the legacy in every cup with Henry's House of Coffee. Here's a fun question because you also, in addition to being in bands, you also teach music in schools. And you work now, if I'm not mistaken, you work at a private school in the East Bay. Am I, am I, am I, if I got that right? You are correct. You are correct. Okay. It's a school in Berkeley. It's a middle school and it's all boys. Okay. It's not the first school I've taught. I, I, I taught at a previous school that was part of Holy Names University. Well, Holy Names I thought University so. Yeah, I thought it on. wasn't your first teaching gig. Yeah, you were mm-hmm. someplace mm-hmm. different now. Right. Um, so how, how do you reconcile sort of being the guy who plays in a band at clubs and then being at, around middle schoolers at, you know, 8.40 a.m.? How do you reconcile those two different worlds? Right. Naps. After school naps. <laughs> Oh, help nice. help make it work. I, I think the two dovetail quite well. I, I think the the nighttime gigging world of Clubland goes perfectly well with being up in the morning and teaching choir to sixth graders. I, oh. I yeah, they, I think they go hand in hand well. And I encourage my students to recommend songs for the whole class to hear too. So I'm always curious what the eleven and twelve year olds are sending in to listen to and we'll listen to it break it apart figure out what's going on in it hear the instrumentation and then we'll figure it out on the piano so we'll say okay so what's going on with the bass line let's sing the bass line okay and then let's find the bass line on the the piano so i'm teaching them ear training and teaching them how to reverse engineer songs for themselves so is that so is that also like getting into a discussion of like sampling versus original music and how to pick that apart sort of having the ear for it Absolutely. Yeah, we, we've gone into sampling versus live instrumentation, and we look at electronic and synthetic elements versus... I love that. ...versus acoustic instruments and what that does to a So production. you're not just teaching them the notes and saying, sing this. Like, you're really getting into, like, the theory and the breakdown. That's fantastic. That's that's really what you... It's a much richer education at that point. Now, do you teach chorus, and do you also teach, uh, like, band or orchestra or anything like that, or...? It's such a small school that we haven't had a full-on band. I teach okay. a rock band. 
within the school. Oh, is that like an extracurricular oh. kind of a thing? It's an elective. School of Rock, dude. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. School of Rock. It is, they, it is during their school day. Do that's they amazing. call you Mr. Seal or Kevin? They call me Mr. Seal. Oh, that's nice. so cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> nice. <laughs> the professor. <laughs> Mr. Seal. Mr. Right. Seal. <laughs> He's got do they, tenure. Do you, have, do you have, like, the cool kids coming up and going, hey, Mr. S, I got a new band. Oh, ah. Like, do you have any of those stories? Oh, I love that. I love the idea of having sort of like a welcome back Cotter contingent that's coming up with like, yeah, right, right, right. I will have some of them quietly come up to me and be like, I found your band. Like, I I found your band on Spotify. Because I won't tell them anything. For real? They'll they'll know that I have a band, but won't know what it's called. And they'll kind of poke around and see if they can figure it out. And those that have Google skills will figure out where we are and recognize my voice from me singing with them in class. Well, I'm honored that they would take the time to do that even. They have enough going on with their lives that they don't need to pay attention to what their teacher is doing outside of school hours. So, I, I no, it, it, it's so flattering. Hard. It's flattering that they wanted to find it. Uh, uh, there are times that I'm I'm sort of like, I wonder which songs you listen to because there's profanity <laughs> in the Seal Party stuff. Oh, no, inappropriate <laughs> well, Dad, subject listen, matter. But that's yeah, going to get exactly. you so many cool points with them. It's like, oh man, my teacher's right. got a band and they he's in a rock band and they cuss. <laughs> it's awesome. They cuss. I mean, they cuss. They oh stay out God. late. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, my I teacher just, shows I up hungover all the time. It's fucking rad. <laughs> all the but time. Then it's really school of rock yeah. at that point. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Never seen him not hungover. Oh right. my God. Yeah. <laughs> How many teachers could you say that about in other subjects? Right. Well, <laughs> listen. The English teachers have it really hard. <laughs> they just hide mm. it better. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Fair point. Mm-hmm. Fair point. Mm-hmm. Yes. All right. So now, now the other gig that you have that you you put your musical skills to use, and so you have a day job with SiriusXM Pandora, and you've been there a long time now. I know at one point you were making music videos for them, and weren't you? Correct me if I'm wrong. You were at one point involved with the uh, the music genome project they were kind of doing early on, right? Was that oh. something you were involved with as well? It was, and I still am. So awesome. ta- ta- tell, yes. our, tell our listeners more about that because I think it's a really cool thing, and it sort of parts the curtain a little bit on on like music selection algorithm to a certain degree but mm-hmm. T- mm-hmm. T- tell me more about this because i think it's fascinating so tim westergren and two other co-founders established the idea of the music genome project back in the year 2000 and there was no pandora at that point the right. company was called savage beast technologies and the music genome project was based in film composition. So Tim Westergren was a, a film composer, and he found difficulty in communicating with directors who lacked musical language. And hmm. they would say, okay, this music here needs to be a little more orange. And he would be like, okay, so what does that mean in terms of what I'm providing? Does that mean more synthesizers? Does that mean more dissonance? And so he decided we need to come up with a numerical way for people to describe music and and elaborate upon the elements of what makes up a piece of music, much in the way that the Human Genome Project mapped the human genome. What can, what can we do to enumerate each of the elements that go into a production, the the gravel in the singer's voice, the amount of space between lines in the singer's thing, you know, the amount of delay on the guitar, the uh, the use of tambourine or not, you know, just every. And so he worked with a musicologist from Stanford named Nolan Gasser to come up with this 400 gene genome. And it was 400 questions that could numerically describe any song was the idea and they hired a bunch of analysts i was not in that initial crew i didn't start until late 2004 okay and when i started it was still savage beast technologies and the recommendations that we were creating with this description of songs was used for kiosks in record stores remember those yeah yeah so you would walk up to a Savage Beast kiosk and say, hey, I really like Tony Bennett. What else should I listen to when I'm in this store? And our recommendations (laughs) would say like, oh, go check out Mel Torme or anything like that. And we hired, they hired a new CEO 
guy named Joe Kennedy who said, this is fine to do these kiosks, but really the, the money is in recommendation services for radio play and to let sure. people make their own radio stations and tune their own radio stations using these genes that, that you're providing for them. And that's how Pandora got started. And that's so now, fascinating. Yeah. That's and so one of the things it's interesting to me that it started from the world of composition for film because you th those are two like we, when you're talking about composers and directors you're talking about people who have an artistic division coming from completely different directions and those different parties need a shorthand to be able to communicate with each other and it seems like that's a big part of what sort of the genesis of Pandora was about was sort of providing that like you gave the example of it means more orange which means you know this type of sound or something that is that's really fascinating stuff and from there it sort of has exploded into the Pandora that we know today um, which I, by the way I, I, I love Pandora um, I, I want to be able to sit Pandora down and just say look I love you I love Rage Against the Machine I don't need them every fourth song <laughs> you know <laughs> other than that you know I, I, I really do uh, love Pandora uh, and I think that, that that sort of genesis of it so so what was your role in sort of all that coming together because it's it's fascinating to me i was a music analyst okay and i i still am i've picked up other roles along the that? way well i went to school for journalism and music That's and i had the perhaps misguided idea that i i would always want to do music but I would need some other kind of day job to support myself. Hey, hey. Cho yeah. Choosing broadcast journalism, though, that's not a job that really lends itself to performing at night. I mean, you have to be on call all the time, and it takes up your whole world. So mm -hmm. that's what brought me out to California, was I went to grad school for journalism at Cal. And mm -hmm. I was an NPR reporter for a while. I worked on Marketplace, and that's most amazing. of my 20s, by day, I was working as a journalist and then doing griddle at night. And it, it was strange bedfellows. They didn't support each other really well because mm -hmm. I, it, it was just a really difficult day job to have and then try to do something artistic outside of the confines of the sure. job. So get that, yeah. Yeah. So I had gone to a concert at the rickshaw stop to see nice. Travis Morrison from the Dismemberment Plan so that oh, I could yeah. interview him. I, I was doing a freelance journalism gig for a music website and interviewing Travis Morrison. I met this guy at the show, Jeff Anthony, who was a drummer, and we were talking about our day jobs. And I was kind of complaining about my day job. And he said, like, oh, I've got this job where I just listen to music all day and answer questions to describe it. And I was like, what? What? That? Where is that? That's a thing? They That's make a thing? You can do that? There. He was like, oh, it's, it's in Oakland. I should introduce you to my boss. You should come and meet my boss and see if they need any more. And so I got the information. I contacted Steve Hogan the next day, and I came in and took the exam to become a music analyst. And so that, that, that's how I got Amazing. started. Was so the exam is like, is that like a music theory final? Like, what, what does that look like? At the time. Okay. Granted, this was 2004, so it wasn't, it wasn't sure. Pandora yet. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It was an ear test. So they would give you five songs and say, okay, without the use of a keyboard, can you explain to me what's happening harmonically in this song? Oh, wow. Hmm. I remember the song that I used was I Missed Again by Phil Collins. Okay, okay. And it's a song I was familiar with. I mean, I, you sure, know, I grew sure. up listening to Phil Collins. And um, between the verse and the bridge, it goes up a half step and shifts from a minor key to a major key for the bridge. Mm -hmm. And that was essentially what they needed to hear. They, they were wow. like, okay, you, you hear what's happening with the chords. You, you can be an analyst. Wow. I think that there were, there were other, other questions too, but that was the main one was listen to this and tell me what's happening with the chords. And sure. having a trained ear got you a, a legit job. Like mm -hmm. that's, that's incredible. That's incredible. I, I was very lucky. I mean, it was incredibly fortunate that I happened to mm -hmm. run into Jeff Anthony that one day and wow. get the introduction. And, and sometimes that's how the best things come about. So it's interesting to hear how you got the gig at Pandora, but now I, I'm dying to know, how did the gig with the Sharks come about? Like, is that yeah. something you have to audition for? I know that you are friends with the guy who is the uh, organist for the Giants, uh, and I don't know if that was a connection that made that happen. Or uh, tell me how this, how does one find themselves in that 
a unique role. And I'm going to have a million questions about playing the arena every night. But Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, interestingly enough, it's the same guy who hired me at Pandora is the Giants organist. So No way. Yeah, he, he's, he's a Pandora guy. He, he heads up the music analysis team. And he asked me to sub for him on Giants games when he was unable to attend. So I, I played organ at a few Giants games. Oh, nice. And technically, I was on the Giants roster as their backup organist. For oh my God. Whenever, whenever Steve wasn't there. So the Sharks had had an organ player before the pandemic. Mm-hmm. He ended up needing to move away, and, and he left the role. They didn't have one for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. They decided, and they that's when to. the team started to decline. I might add, <laughs> I would. You're onto something there. You're I, onto something I, I'm there. not wrong. You're not so, wrong. You're not wrong. So, Kevin, did you save the sharks? <laughs> uh, uh, Kevin alone yeah. cannot save the San Jose Sharks. <laughs> I, I don't know that the decline has situation. Sorry, I, I don't know that the decline has stopped for the Sharks. In all due respect, right, right. I have high hopes for Henry Thrun. I think Henry Thrun <laughs> is going to be a a huge asset for the Sharks, and I, I think I he's know. he's on his way toward that. But uh, I, I'm merely assisting. So the Sharks contacted the Giants and said, "Do you have a backup person that could?" be our organist and they gave him my name and it was simple as that oh my god i had yeah i had never been to an nhl game in person before that really okay so i I didn't grow up with hockey at all yeah you grew up in cincinnati uh so yeah and i know that there was minor league hockey there at least at one point um and i saw a lot of that i went to a lot of cyclones games in high school at the cincinnati gardens which was a blast i loved going to see the clones but, and now yeah. it's it, now isn't it the Cincinnati Ducks now? Aren't they like yes. the minor league affiliate for the Anaheim Ducks? Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. Yep. I thought I had that right. Mm-hmm. So, so being a musician, playing the SAP Center, uh, is that the largest venue you've ever played as a musician? Yes, by far. Okay. Okay. Yes. Cool. Cool. So, what's it like playing for you know a live you know audience like that, where you're not the center of attention? Let's be honest. I mean, they're there to see the sharks. You're there to accentuate the game experience. Um, so, I'm wondering, like, do you have sort of like requirements where, like, okay, between this intermission, you play this. When there's a stoppage in play, you do this. Do you do you get requests that come into you? How much leeway do you have? And are there, like, certain situations where you have something planned where, in case of X, we play this song under under whatever – like, it's a goal or a player gets ejected or a penalty or something like that. Like, like walk <laughs> me – I'm so fascinated by this. We have a director. We're okay. all on clear comms, much like this okay. one. Okay. And the director is giving cues to the giant video screen, as well as to Dan Rizanowski, as well as to Emily, who's the in-arena host. We're all getting cues from the same right. director throughout. And the there's game. a DJ you have to coordinate with as well, right? And I'm sitting directly next to him. Okay. So okay. for almost every game, uh, Chris, the DJ, is right there next to me. How are and your seats? Oh, they're they're good. They're at the top of one twenty four and one twenty six. If you ever want to come say hi. Oh, okay, okay, cool. Yeah. Well, and, yeah. and as you know, and we've talked about this off air, but I I am in my life. I am O for sharks. Oh, the sharks have never won with me in the building. To the point, this is how bad it got, Kevin. Okay, when I worked at Bailey's Ticketmaster, the cooler when the I worked at Ticketmaster, they would not give me the sharks tickets. They would send me to the Warriors. And this is like, you know, mid-2000s Nick Van Exel era Warriors. Very, very different team at that time uh, back in Oakland. They would not give me the Sharks tickets because they knew the Sharks would lose. I have friends who are, believe it or not, and these people do exist, they are diehard Anaheim Ducks fans. Die hard. And mm-hmm. they were trying to buy me playoff tickets just so I would go and jinx the Sharks. <laughs> that uh, is how bad it 
is when I go and see the Sharks. I the only pro playoff game I have ever been to. I never made it to a Giants postseason game, uh, but I went to in 1999 Sharks versus Colorado Avalanche, the game where the Sharks got eliminated by the Avalanche. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. blame me, Sharks fans. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm very sorry. You know. <laughs> I just well, I rec- 90s bales was the worst. Uh. Well, I, I rescind my invitation to come to a game. In case. I, <laughs> I didn't know you were tainted in that way. I figured. I figured. Yeah. If I'm in the building, yeah, no, there's a problem. There, there's a problem. I'm showing up. <laughs> Bailey, get out of here. We're so Get close. security on this guy now. <laughs> Oh my God! Yeah, you know, it's bad. It's it's bad with me and hockey. And I've been to maybe not even ten games. I mean, it's not like a like a really long streak. But every time I go, it, it's an L for the Sharks, and I I feel bad. Uh, I do. I would like to see the Sharks win a game in person uh, at some point One in my lifetime. Days. I think that that would be that would be <laughs> nice. Right? It's really nice, and it's a really fun fan base. It's a very loyal. Very uh, spirited core group of fans. Sharks fans are Sharks great. Yeah, Sharks, Sharks fans, fans are awesome. Are awesome. Mm-hmm. They're really, really awesome. And they've been through a lot. I mean, the, the team went to the Stanley Cup Finals and then got rid of a lot of their players. Uh, some really talented, I mean, legends of the team. So they're they're pretty much in full rebuild right now, you know. And I want to see them do better. I think everybody does. Um, so uh, getting back to my earlier question though, so how much artistic leeway do you have during the course of the game? Are there points where they say, okay, it's the second intermission, play a couple of songs or like, like uh, how much leeway do you have during the course of a game? In the intermissions and pregame, pregame full leeway. I can play nice. whatever I want in terms of songs. I try to do really quick medleys where I play recognizable stuff. As soon as you recognize what it is, I should be on to the next one to just kind of keep it moving and think more like a, a DJ doing a rapid mix. Nice. During the game, the times that I have to play are very limited little windows. And I'll get, okay, next whistle, organ. And really, I want to get the arena clapping. Yes. So, you know, I may have like 10 seconds to play cashmere or something like that, but then it's to a clap prompt something that will get everyone clapping along with it whether it's let's go sharks exactly like that yep 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 exactly uh blister in the sun works for that so and that's something you can play quick yes which which goes a long way when you have limited time right right and i have to watch very carefully to make sure that i continue playing until the puck hits the ice so there's a little dance that goes oh. on between yeah. the ref and me every time the puck goes back into play where I'm like, okay, do I have time to go up a half step and do another like, like, are you going to drop the puck or not? And and so yeah. like, there's, there's kind of a back and forth because as soon as the puck is down, I need to get out pretty quickly within yeah. a second or two. Right. But they also don't want me to stop playing if the puck's not down yet. So... There, there's a dance that is not there in baseball. So you've got to watch that very, very closely, which which is interesting because, you know, there was just the comments, what, last week by uh, Steve Kerr, the coach of the Golden State Warriors, talking about all the in-arena noise uh, in Phoenix during the game and saying hmm. it sounded more like a club than and asking the rhetorical question, hey, can we just have a basketball game? Whereas in the NHL, I know that there are – they really do try to protect the audience watching the game. There's a whole thing about hey you cannot take your seats until there's a break in the action you have to wait um, which is a really strict thing that you don't see uh, certainly not in the NBA I think they they try to do it a little bit uh, in baseball or at least with the Giants um, so uh, I'm, I'm curious it, like if you have any thoughts about that I mean you, you are part of the ambiance and part of the entertainment it seems like you really and, and it seems like organizationally top-down they try to not have you know music and entertainment happening during the action right and i prefer that i, I prefer that nice. i mean 
Yeah, I, I like that's the right answer. By the way. Yeah, the right answer. Yeah, <laughs> professionally as well. But I, I mean, I, I went to a Warriors preseason game this year, and I was kind of stunned at how much music was happening during yeah. the game. And I kind of miss hearing the sneakers squeaking on the court and <laughs> yeah. the, the sounds of gameplay and the sound of the of the ball bouncing and stuff like that. Like I, I missed that. In hockey, you have that. I mean, there's there's no DJ music while the the game is in play. And, and there's such an aesthetic to the sound of the skates and the clacking of the stick on the ice and when there's a hit on the boards. Like mm-hmm. that in-game audio is a huge part of the aesthetic of hockey. In fact, hockey probably has the best in-game audio short of maybe like the crack of a bat in Major League Baseball, you know, which is mm-hmm. such a unique sound, right? Mm-hmm, uh, but mm-hmm. in terms of the overall whole game, I think of the four major sports, hockey definitely has that unique ambiance with the in-game sound. Right, I totally agree. I totally agree, and I love the sound of a crack of a bat as well. Oh, who doesn't? Oh, yeah, yeah. The the echo coming off of it as it goes into the stands, as the sound reverberates off. Oh, it's great. But yeah, the the sound of of puck on stick is also delightful. Are there any other things where they say like, hey, specifically like, uh, we know this player's coming to town and we want to play a particular song, or this team's in town, or play this when they score? Or I'm really curious if you have a, something you play for ejections. Like, like, do you have just hit the road, Jack, at the ready? Like what? <laughs> yeah, like like a womp 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 as they're being like hauled off to the penalty box. Right, right. Well, as the other team's penalty starts, the DJ plays. The, the chomp, the the Jaws theme. Ah, so yes, okay. That yeah. comes up as a response to someone Amazing. getting into the penalty box. <laughs> for the shark. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, will, I will say as far and as... And that is a fun moment teams, in the arena. I, I mean, I've been I there love for that. that. That's a lot of fun. And everyone's doing the hands and stuff. And yeah, 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 it's great. Oh, no, the um, Shark Tank is great. The Shark mm-hmm. Tank, I, I should just call it the Shark Tank and forget the corporate name. Sure, yeah. Uh, but the Shark Tank is the best affectionate nickname for any arena. I'm telling you right now. Mm-hmm. You who, know? who doesn't love a good affectionate nickname? I mean, I still Shark call it Candlestick. <laughs> Which hasn't existed in forever, yeah. And I, I, grew up going to, I grew up going to Candlestick. That's a whole other yeah. story. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but it was never like Monster Cable Park or whatever they tried to nickname it. it was right, like, right. Yeah. All right, do, do you have a favorite moment uh, as a, an arena uh, performer, as, a, as, a, as an NHL live game organist? Do you have a favorite moment in your, in your career so far? I do. There was a win earlier this season at the Shark Tank where the timing just worked out that we had a one-two between Chris, the DJ, and me where he was playing a cue. His DJ cue he knew was ending early before they were dropping the puck. And so he was like, hit him with a fanfare right now. And so as, as his sound went away, I had time to do one fanfare. Puck went down, shot went in, Sharks tied the game, and it was this amazing, like, and it was all within, like, three or four seconds. It it was just really, it was fantastic timing. Like, he got his punch in, I got my fanfare in, the whole crowd yelled, let's go, Sharks, and then immediately goal was scored. And it was so. Just what so did you satisfying. play as the fanfare? Like, what was the specific thing that you played? Well, in that case, it's a plagal cadence for the for the music theory geeks out there, which is four one four one. In this case, it was F major, C major, F major, C major. So it's you know, wah 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 wah, let's go sharks, yes. wah 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 wah. You know, F C F C. If I have time, it goes up to F sharp C sharp F sharp C sharp. You know, and I and I move it chromatically up as long as I have time. But that that's really what they mean when they're like, ah, hit them with a fanfare and let's get the whole place yelling, let's go sharks. That's uh, got to be the greatest feeling when you can get uh, a, a full arena. Uh, that's an incredibly powerful thing. To do. Oh, it's <laughs> Not many people can such say, a great feeling. I got a whole arena, you know, uh, on their feet, and the Sharks pulled off the the win. Inc- that that's incredible, man. It's so much fun. It's so much fun. And the the little the little tag that happens a lot, which is, you know, G C E G E G. You know, da 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 da. Sharks. Da 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 da. Sharks! Like, you know, when the crowd is, like, on their feet and, like, really giving it their full voices, which happens a lot with the Sharks fans. Sharks fans are loud and great. Um, that's a they're fantastic feeling. Yeah, they're it, passionate folk. 
Yeah. Yes. If you're of a certain age, you hear that, and and your your reaction instead of charge is puppy power for the uh, scrappy do aficionados <laughs> out there. Scrappy do. How dare wow. you bring that name into this conversation? Oh, that's great. That's great. <laughs> Somebody had to do it. All right. All right. So now, uh, uh, man, man, what a fun gig! My God, that's it's a blast. It's, it's really okay. fun. So, so now, Kevin, before we go, I'd be remiss if I did not mention. Uh, you are from the city of Cincinnati, and I think of everybody. I, I don't know anybody who loves Cincinnati more than you do. I know it's a real mm-hmm. source of pride for you. Now, did it you is. go to the arts high school in Cincinnati? No, I wanted to, and my parents vetoed that. So Really? Yeah, in, in eighth grade, I was like, I want to go to, and I always got the name wrong because it's really close to the SPCA, but it was the SCPA, the School for okay. the Creative oh, and Performing sure. Arts in Cincinnati, which is in downtown Cincinnati in a pretty dangerous neighborhood. And, and my parents really liked where I was going to school. And, it, you know, it was a public school. It was a really good school. And mm-hmm. um, so, yeah, so they they did not let me apply for the School okay. Creative Performing Arts, uh, it's, which is fine. Um, yeah, you know, as you, I think you know, I went to Soda. I went to the School of the Arts here in San Francisco. So, mm-hmm. and that was a huge formative thing for me. So, and I know Cincinnati is one of the only. You know, not every city has a school like that. So that was yep. one of the things yep. they thought of. Okay, you know, a so, lot of the Pandora analysts went to Soda. A lot of them. Uh, oh, that Ooh. doesn't surprise me at all. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. So now I want to ask you a question because I, I would be remiss if I did not have you speak up for your hometown and represent Cincinnati proudly on this podcast, okay? So for the uninitiated, for those who have not spent time in Cincinnati, I think to the average layman, Cincinnati is known for the WKRP turkey drop, Mm-hmm. Chili over spaghetti, which you have to explain to me. I'm sorry. We, we, we'll get to that. <laughs> we'll get to uh, that. But and and baseball in the 1970s. <laughs> yes. Now I was born in the opening week of the Big Red Machine. Nice. Oh, yeah, first week of April 1975, which was right after opening day of the first Big Red Machine season. That's amazing. So yeah, okay. my dad always called me a good luck charm. I I, I would concur. All right. So other than those things. What should people know about the city of Cincinnati and, and, and why you love it so much, other than being from there and having so many, you know, you raised there, it's your childhood. But tell us all about Cincinnati, because I love Cincinnati, but tell, tell me more about mm-hmm. it, man. I have a lot of love for Cincinnati. I really wish I could spend a lot more time there, and I'm doing what I can to get back more often. Things that you should know about Cincinnati, if you've never been there. Number one, it's very hilly. Very, yeah, very hilly. Really? That's where the glaciers stopped as they were coming south. And so the glaciers moved in and rippled as they got blocked as the land masses merged. So that that part of the state that comes up right against the Ohio River is super steep hills. So it's built on seven hills, and that's okay. why it's called Cincinnati. It's named after Cincinnatus, the Roman farmer turned general turned back to farmer. You know, the going back to my plow, that's Kinkinatus. And it was the Society for the Kinkinatus that Cincinnati is named after. So it's very, very hilly. So you have beautiful views all over the city from the top of Mount Adams, from Mount Healthy, from Mount Airy. You can see into Kentucky, right? So you can look over the Ohio River, see this beautiful skyline of mm-hmm. the city and and look into the rolling bluegrass hills of Kentucky. So it's it's really really physically gorgeous Cincinnati. That that's the first thing I would say to someone who has okay. not been there. I will also say and it, yeah. and it is it's not as hilly as San Francisco, but for the Midwest, it's it's very San Francisco like in terms of its hills. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I was going to yes. say it's it sounds very San Francisco-esque. It's quite hilly. It, yeah, it, it's it's not quite San Francisco, but it's it's close in places. Okay. I mean, it's really it's hard to drive when it's icy in Cincinnati because of these oh, super steep hills. Yeah, so you you get San Francisco X you know esque deep <laughs> drops as well there. Yeah, um, you do. Yeah, you do. really, really very very pretty city and lots of beautiful old architecture that has been preserved as well. I'll also say about Cincinnati, fantastic music that often doesn't get 
explored outside of Cincinnati. So uh, my friend from Homunculus, Ben Depke, explained it once to, to me this way, and it made a lot of sense. It's directly between Detroit and Nashville. And you have the mm. you have the poles of Motown and Nashville kind of pushing and pulling against each other, um, mm-hmm. and you know the highway cuts straight through from Michigan down to Kentucky into Tennessee goes through Cincinnati. So you have these different styles of music that are mixing and blending with each other and creating a lot of really cool, smart, vibey music. James Brown recorded a lot of his most famous sides at King Records in Cincinnati. Bootsy Collins is from Cincinnati. He still lives nice. there. Uh, tons of amazing funk music. Were the Ohio players Cincinnati or were they more Cleveland? They were closer to Cleveland. I think okay. they were like Akron or Youngstown. Okay. Um, but Cincinnati is very close to Dayton. And there's a lot of amazing funk music that came out of Dayton too. You know, like Midnight yeah. Star and, uh, you know, Zap, Roger Troutman from Dayton. Um, and uh, also Adrian Ballou, uh, yeah. King Crimson, and you know played with David Bowie, Talking Heads, Frank and Zappa. It, it, and it sounds to me, just knowing you musically, it sounds like that was a huge influence on you, all those sort of specific mm-hmm. Cincinnati sounds, because you sort of combine a lot of those elements in, in, the, in the things you record. So Thanks. Thanks. I, I hope I do, do justice to that. It was definitely a massive influence on me growing up there and being surrounded by all of that. Yeah, definitely. Yep. And as I believe, you know, we've talked about this before. So my mom grew up in Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. And uh, my grandfather, uh, who died before I was born, so I never met uh, my mom's dad. Uh, but he owned a bakery uh, in Cincinnati in the uh, Mount Lookout uh, <sighs> area. Yeah, on the, on the east side. I believe it was called the East Side Bakery is what it was oh, called. Oh, yeah. And it's like a Panera Bread now or something like that. But, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, but that's something that this is the thing that drives me nuts is there are no photos of this place anywhere oh. that anybody in my family has. And I would kill to see photos of my grandfather's uh, bakery. Um, you know, I could maybe help with that. The Cincinnati Historical Society is Ooh. vibrant and there are a ton of photos from that era. My mom used to live in Mount Lookout, by the way, before my parents got married. That's oh, where that's she lived so was cool. Mount Lookout. So I yeah, I, I, I know Mount Lookout well. But there are there is a lot of recorded history there. Because I, I don't know if you're familiar with this background, but in the mid-19th century, Chicago and Cincinnati were kind of at odds to see which was going to become the major city of the Midwest. And so Cincinnati was poised to be as big as Chicago. Chicago, of course, won out. But uh, Cincinnati was Porkopolis and was a pork processing city and had tons of industry. So it has tons of infrastructure. <laughs> Porkopolis? Porkopolis. That was, was the nickname. Like, started by Greeks? Like, what's... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yep. City of Pork. Well, there are there are a lot of Greek people in Cincinnati. It's Skyline Chili. Really? The recipe for Skyline Chili is developed by the Lambrinides brothers from Greece. All right, Stan. So now okay. we got to do this. Whoa. Your Whoa. people are responsible for this flavor profile. All right. What? Yes. I, I, I am. I am shocked. A, B. I do not get it. What is the deal <laughs> yes. with putting chili on spaghetti? Yeah. C. Uh, I, I, I. I I apologize on behalf of all Greek people, I guess. You should be apologizing to diabetics everywhere for the carb load that is chili on spaghetti. Mm, I, you know, mm, mm-hmm. listen, my people like to feed people, and this they'll do it any which way possible, even slapping chili on spaghetti, I guess. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I would say the Panigiri festivals in Cincinnati are fantastic. The really? white festivals? Oh yeah, uh, Panigiri. It's um, it's it's like a I'm, maybe I'm mispronouncing like a Greek it, food P-A-N-E-G-Y-R-I. festival kind of a thing. G Y R I. And see, I'm only half Greek, so I don't know all of them. Oh, okay. Festivals, so. Uh, so yeah, my buddy Caroline Belios used to take me with her to go to these Panigiri festivals. It would be a different. Greek Orthodox churches across Cincinnati. Mm. And it would be at like this amazing line dancing, you know, some mm. of it in like 13, 4, you know, like really weird time signatures that you'd all be in a nice. line like kicking and jumping and stuff like that. And yeah, so there, there's a, you know, a thriving Greek American community in Cincinnati to this Good day. Good to know. Mm-hmm. That's fantastic. Well, now I have another reason to go to Cincinnati. Exactly. Okay. Hills I, I, and Greeks. 
I do need to ask a question about Skyline Chili. Okay. Now, Stan has never had Skyline Chili proper, which not, I have had. Yeah, not Skyline proper chili. I have had Cincinnati, Cincinnati chili Style. on spaghetti. Style, yes. yeah. So so here's the thing with uh, with Skyline that I don't understand. Why do they put chocolate in the chili? There is that little chocolatey note to it that it, it just makes it feel a little off to me. But again, I'm a West Coaster, you know. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. okay. Yeah, I want your hot take on Skyline Chili, basically. As, as a proud Cincinnatian, you have to you, – you're going to be our trusted resource on this. Right, mm-hmm. right. And I will say – Cincinnati chili is not for everyone. I've tried introducing it to some people who just will never really like it, and that's okay. That's a, that's okay. But the the little bit of cinnamon that's in there, and the little bit of oh, cinnamon and chocolate. That the cinnamon are, is good. I appreciate the cinnamon. The cinnamon's Here's the quite thing. good. Yeah, we're we're all about putting cinnamon in savory stuff. Us yep. Greeks, like like my grandma would put cinnamon in every ground beef recipe we had growing up. Yes. So I kind of, kind of get that part. Chocolate, not aware that there's chocolate in there. <laughs> yeah, and I must say I'm not a big mole fan. I, I've heard okay. it compared to mole, but it's it's a lot less chocolate than you find in mole. It, and it, a lot less spice too. Yeah, a lot less spice. Yeah. Although I mean, Cincinnati chili is very good with hot sauce on it. I mean, yeah. you know, it, I I had hot sauce in mine, and it, it's and it's, I assume it's not like milk chocolate either. It's like dark. <laughs> Like Dark chocolate. Un- yeah, yeah. Like baker's chocolate sort of. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, it makes and it's very, very finely ground chili. It's more like a sauce. It's, it's almost a thin like chili that goes sauce. over. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's almost yeah, like, like the spaghetti sauce on a, the pasta. Yeah. It wants to be a bolognese, but it doesn't quite get there. You know yes. what I mean? <laughs> right. That's a good right. comparison. That's a good yeah. very good comparison. Yes. Mm-hmm. All right. So now I'm gonna give you the toughest question that I think any Cincinnati native could possibly face. Okay, Kevin? Mm -hmm. You're familiar with you can only save one. So I'm going to give you two legendary Cincinnati institutions. You can only save one. All right? Skyline Chili or Grater's Ice Cream? Oh, wow. Oh, that's such a tough Sophie's choice to be making. <laughs> I, I have to go with Skyline Chili for that. Wow! I, much as I love, I, much as I love Grater's ice cream, Grater's and ice the black cream raspberry is chunk. Grater's ice cream. You is heard amazing. it. You heard it here first, first folks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that mm-hmm. totally and to be fair, Grater's ice cream. Podcast. Shout out to Grater's ice cream in Cincinnati because if you get chocolate chip ice cream from Grater's ice cream, they are the fattest chocolate chips you will ever find in in nice. any ice. It's uh, a friend of mine went there and said they were chocolate chips the size of New Jersey. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh-huh. He's not true. entirely wrong. <laughs> not entirely wrong. All right. Last question, and we're going to wrap it up. And I, I hope, I sincerely hope that someone, someone from the San Jose Sharks organization is listening to this question. All right, Kevin? This is, this is my big question to you. When will Seal Party play San Jose Sharks Fan Fest? Oh. That's a great question. I love that question. I'm just going to let that I don't expect you to have an answer, here. but I'm putting it out. I, what I want to do is speak it into the universe because I there, think man. Sharks fans would very much appreciate getting a chance not only to hear the other music you do because they know you from the arena, but you're more than that, obviously. And I think, you know, getting a chance to see uh, Seal Party live at Sharks Fan Fest, it's a great way to get some more fans out there. It happens every year. It's not like they don't know how to find you. Um, so that, that I'm just speaking that out there, and I'm not going to put you on the spot to have to answer that. 2024 is the answer, by the way. Uh, <laughs> well, thank you for speaking that idea into the universe. That That is my goal. That is my goal. So lastly, uh, in closing here, Kevin, I want to thank you for, for being our guest. This has been a great interview. I've had a great time uh, talking with you and just getting a chance to see you and catch up with you a little bit. And I want to say you are very much – uh, a delightful weirdo. You are the type of weirdo that makes the world better by bringing art into it mm-hmm. uh, and by being a a loving father who is 
raising his kid to be curious uh, and raising his kid to not be judgmental and raising uh, a kid with an appreciation of the arts and technique. Uh, and I'm so glad that you've been, you know, I mean, I met you through my wife and you've been good friends with her for decades now. And I just, I'm so grateful to have a delightful weirdo like you in, in, in my life and, and, and on the show. So thank you so much, Kevin, uh, for being here. Uh, an absolute delight to have you on the show. And, uh, real quick, do you want to plug anything before we go? I would. I, I would encourage people to come check out Seal Party wherever you can find us online. You know, Instagram, Bandcamp, mm -hmm. etc. Any upcoming and, gigs? Uh, yes, but we are we are not able to announce it yet. So we're we're playing uh, early 2024, but um, I can't actually announce the date yet. Fair enough. Fair but enough. But it's coming soon. And John, Excellent. thank you so much for having me. Uh, and Stan, thank you so much for having me. Ed, this was this was a blast, and I'm honored, absolutely honored, to be your first guest. So congratulations on the new series. And I look thank you. To I think more. you've set the bar pretty high for us, Kevin. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. I thought this was a great interview. All right. Yeah. Okay. Future so guests, watch out. Uh-oh. <laughs> the gauntlet has been thrown down. The gauntlet thrown. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll come back uh, next week here on uh, You Are All Weirdos. Uh, and, of course, uh, our theme song is done by Seal Party. Please check them out at sealparty.com. Uh, and we will be back. Uh, hopefully with Thomas back next week, but yeah. we will be back very soon. Uh, and thank you for supporting the podcast.